It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome back to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Braccia on deck to discuss all the craziness going on in the world right now. UFC 249 coming up and we're going to hit on the last UFC card, UFC Brasilia, if only for a little bit. Nick, how are you feeling, my friend? Are you staying healthy? Uh, it's been a while. Yeah, for the for the most part, uh, I think so. You know, th- like I think just around the time of the Brasilia card, my asthma was really bad and I had some like uh, tightness in my chest and shortness of breath, but I just got steroids from the, from my regular doctor. Like I would, if I was having, you know, a week of asthma attacks and it took a little bit longer to clear up, but it went away. And uh, since then I've mostly been fine. I just been using my inhaler a lot. So no, nothing else, but real curious if that was asthma or if maybe it was uh, uh, some kind of like mild response to the, uh, to the Rona. Yeah, I, I, I'm fairly confident that my wife, myself, and even our baby daughter, who's uh, seven months old, pretty sure that we had it, uh, although we haven't gotten tested and it hasn't been confirmed. But for me, the experience was start of a sore throat, um, just feeling extremely physically weak. Like, it's a weird situation because as weak as I felt, we were quarantined and, and I had like no motivation to get up until like 10 a.m. It was the weirdest thing for for basically a full week. And there were That's body me every aches. day, Stan. <laughs> Good for you, buddy. And uh, and the body aches on top of that. So yeah, like I, I had the cough going. The, the whole process took about two weeks for me. I'm fairly confident that I already had it. You and I both live in the yeah, tri-state area. That is literally the center of it all right now. That certainly sounds like it. Yeah. I do have a, an old friend, not someone I see very regularly, but who I, I um, am Facebook friends with. And what you just, and he, he tested positive and is uh, I think just approaching that week and a half to two week mark um, right. and is starting to do better. But his his experience with it is exactly what you described. And his remark yeah. is that the body ache aspect of it, it was by far for him uh, the, the worst uh, symptom. Yeah, it was definitely like every morning, the first thing I would feel is like pain in my knees and my shins and my ankles, uh, even my feet. And I wasn't sure if it's because I've spent years of my life slamming my shins into other people's forearms, shins, and heads. Or if it was just the body aches that people are supposed to feel from this COVID-19 virus. It is such a weird circumstance to be kind of secluded from everyone and at arm's length. And socially, things seem odd as you're walking you know, down the street. And, and granted, you know, it's not recommended to be outside right now. But uh, the main reason I've been out is to pick up groceries for the family, for for my uh, in-laws who uh, my sister-in-law who lives nearby and it, it's kind of a weird weird time in so many ways a lot of people are losing their jobs and getting furloughed uh, a lot of people going part-time folks are really worried about next steps and uh, unfortunately we've got we've got the United States federal government covering us so it ain't best case Nikolai but we're, we're getting through it slowly yeah they did they've uh, not you know not a good look but no surprise under this current administration it's a uh... This is unprecedented. It's way uh, feels way worse than than nine eleven did, and it certainly yeah. This is it's um, unprecedented in our lifetime, most certainly. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure in the U.S. the death rate is past where 9-11 was, but of course it hasn't caught up to, you know, more common things like the flu. The death rate in New York State is just New York State alone is is well be is probably 60 percent more than um, 9-11 at this, wow. at this point. But yeah, it really is an odd time. And somehow, some way, Nick, Dana White has promised to keep on going. He promised this UFC 249 for it to be headlined by Khabib versus Ferguson. He's going to pull off the card, Nick. He's going to end up pulling this off, apparently on a remote island somewhere. Allegedly, they will test all of the fighters and, and do all of the kind of due diligence that they need to in order to put on an event like this. Hopefully, everyone will be kept separate in individual uh, changing rooms so that they don't have to warm up around each other. But we are approaching on April 18th, USC 249, Ferguson versus Gaethje. Some weird controversy with Khabib Nurmagomedov traveling out to the Middle East and then realizing he might get stuck there and then going all the way to Russia from San Jose, California, because of, allegedly the UFC made him believe that the event would be held in Russia. Or, or I'm sorry, the in event Dubai. would be held in, in Dubai. That's right. And obviously that did not pan out. And his claim is that the UFC told him to get out. Tony Ferguson uh, is essentially saying, look, he, he left, man. We... This is the fifth time that this fight has been scheduled. Unfortunately, the curse reigned supreme and it needed to bring on a huge pandemic, Nick, just to cancel this fight, whatever it takes uh, when it comes to the MMA gods and this bout, apparently, Nick. And now we're not going to get that fight again. We're left in a weird situation where the champion, I'm not sure if he actually thought that he could still fight if he left the country, left the land where Tony Ferguson is also located Therefore, on paper, decreasing the odds of them being able to meet up in a fight. But then he's also talked about how he's not willing to because apparently the Russian Federation said that the UFC knows what they need to do in order to get Khabib to fly out of here. And Khabib still wasn't willing to do it. So maybe for Khabib's, um, from Khabib's angle, maybe it was, listen, I want to be with my family at this time. Uh, this is not the time to be half a world away training for a fight without any contact and the danger of not being able to get back to my family, which... Let's face it, he would have been secluded from his family until this whole thing is over had he stayed in the States, even though he'd be able to make the fight. But Khabib is kind of coming with a different storyline. He's saying that he thought that would actually increase the chances of the fight happening. Tony, understandably, is saying that Khabib chickened out. I mean, let's yeah, face Ferguson's it. Ferguson's being an absolute piece of shit, I think, um, about this. I think given the politics of fighting, that might be rough. But but tell me more, Nick. Well, it's it's a pandemic. The idea that, that Khabib Nurmagomedov is afraid to fight anybody at 155 is insane. It's complete. It's completely insane. Could he? Could Ferguson beat him? Maybe. I don't think that Khabib is scared. I don't think that he was running away from the fight. I think that this is an unprecedented uh, global um, crisis, and if someone chooses to put their family ahead of their job. Um, also, Khabib's not crazy. He's a sport. He's a sportsman, like Fedor, um, and he's a terrific sportsman. Um, he's not, you know, he's not deranged. He seems very logical all the time, very thoughtful. Ferguson is a wonderful fighter. Um, uh, he's, he's very, you know, he's very creative and resourceful. He's also absolutely off his rocker. And, you know, had to be separated from his family, I believe, legally in the last, you know, in the last couple of years um, because he wasn't right in the head. So I, I really didn't I don't appreciate or agree with That's him. That's a low blow. Well, I'm just saying, like, 
if if Khabib decides that like, hey, I'm not going to work right now, that's fine. And he doesn't owe anything to a corporation, and he doesn't owe anything to t- to Tony Ferguson. But to imply that he's afraid is absolutely ridiculous. Do I think that Khabib is afraid of fighting Tony Ferguson under proper circumstances? No, I don't think Khabib is actually afraid. Is Khabib afraid of something related to that? Is he afraid of losing? Yeah. And does he, is it possible that he feels like his odds of winning might be a little bit lower with all this craziness, with him being unable to truly put in the right kind of fight camp with the right training partners and the right coaches nearby? Yeah, maybe. And look, can I blame him for saying like, look, guys, this is insane. The UFC is not giving me any real information. I'm not getting any actual confirmation that this thing is happening. I'm going to go be with my family because I don't want to risk being away from them for months if I'm not able to get back into Dagestan. Yeah, after the which fight. is totally fair. Totally fair and, and if he had said that. It, well, it's also very possible if he went to Dubai, which makes sense because the early buzz was that's where the fight was going to be. And if he if he rolled the dice and showed up in Dubai because um, he thought it was going to give him the right amount of time to train and be acclimated and he lost that dice roll and got stuck, then, like, what are you going to do? Well, I don't disagree. But, again, it's it's the difference between the real reason that Khabib may have not ended up competing uh, come April 18th or, like, the reasons that they decided to come up with. Right? We don't know. Like, th- we don't know. Kind of but he's certainly mark. not afraid of fighting Tony Ferguson. No, I don't think he's afraid of fighting him. I do think he's afraid of losing, understandably. His undefeated record is a major part of what makes him the elite fighter that he's considered to be what makes him maybe pound for pound the, the best guy or the second or third best guy in the world but there there has to be something said about the weirdness of like i am stuck in russia and then russia says well he's technically not stuck there are ways to get him out if they need to and then suddenly he's like well the ufc won't give me this information so i'm not doing it it just seems like the reasoning changed depending who, on yeah who knows what like just... other other parties involved uh, said and look I think Tony Ferguson is doing the right thing Tony's going to show up right Tony's going to take an extremely dangerous fight with absolutely zero to win from this Nick because he's about to fight for the world title against Khabib he's previously won the interim belt because Khabib didn't show up right and granted they've each not shown up Khabib three times now Tony twice and. Tony really is the one taking the brunt of this. I think being a little bit hard on him is somewhat unfair because he has to now take a new opponent, an extremely dangerous opponent, who can potentially just potentially just knock him out in the first round and walk away with his title Good, shot. Good, I right? hope that happens. Tony has... Fuck Ferguson. Well, th- th- but that's the thing. But Tony has this insane win streak in the UFC. He's earned that title shot time and time again. And once again, it's evaded him. I don't blame him for being uh, frustrated. Sure, but it's a glo- it's a global pandemic. I mean, yes, yes, but they both said they were willing to fight. If Khabib had said in the beginning, about a month and a half ago, like, guys, uh, this is crazy. I don't think this is a good time for us to do this right now. I don't believe in it. I'm going to be safe with my family and and be there for them. That would be a totally different thing. But this, you know, it is a different series of circumstances. Am I mad at Khabib? No. But we don't know. I I do think there's... No, no, we don't. But also from Tony's perspective, for him to play the politics of it, I don't blame him. For him to get a little bit more hype for the event and potentially for the fight if it does get scheduled for the sixth time, I can't really blame him there either. Tony is going to show up. Tony accepted a different opponent. Khabib wasn't willing to show up to face the opponent he was scheduled to face for whatever reason, right? So, like, I don't know that it's fair to be hard on Tony right now. Who's I'm only show being up. hard on him for 
saying that things are unfortunate, I don't know. I just, I think in, in sports and at the level that these guys are that approach that looking at the situation with maturity and empathy uh, is the, you know, is, is, is the, is the right thing to do. I also like, I like the way that Khabib um, conducts himself. You know, I think he's, I think he doesn't make things personal. He's extremely professional and respectful and does his talking in the cage. Unless you mouth off to him, he's not one to talk trash. You're you're right about that. But again, it is just kind of an odd situation. I agree with you. Khabib is fairly respectful for the most part in the public eye. Uh, You really only see him being fairly logical, pragmatic, and respectful. And I can appreciate that. But if for whatever reason Tony didn't show up to this fight, Khabib would have had things to say. It wouldn't have been the exact same thing Tony said. And it's okay for them to be different in that way. But there would have been things to be said had Khabib trained, had Khabib uh, waited up until this moment and had the patience to wait for the venue and accept a different opponent, had he been willing to do everything that Tony's been willing to do now uh, for the umpteenth time, I think that Khabib would have had some words for Tony as well. And understandably, like one guy once again did not show up for a third time. And I don't blame the guy that showed up this time for being disappointed and for lashing out to well, some extent. Yeah, I mean, Tony didn't show up a couple times too. Like, nobody called him an That's idiot true. for tripping over a chair. You know what? He tripped over a chair, blew out his knee, and while he was a fool for wearing sunglasses when he tripped, uh, I think it was when their the fight was scheduled for a fourth time maybe. Um, but Khabib actually didn't show up because of a bad weight cut, which was a little had, bit more voluntary, right? I mean – yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you choose whether you go to the hospital. Like, there have been insanely horrible weight cuts for a lot of guys. Sometimes what guys do is they rather not weigh in and make a, and embarrass themselves. They'd rather just kind of call in sick. And I, I don't know if that situation could be, but there are a lot yeah, of questions. The situation could uh, be that he's from a part of the world that is in a lot of ways still developing, and he's not exactly sure. And he's certainly one of the most important people in that country um, and one, yes, of the, one of the wealthiest. Certainly. It could be – it could be – uh, that he just simply felt a civic responsibility because he shoulders a national burden that Tony Ferguson wouldn't know anything about. Like I hear that, and it would be so respect- respectable if he had said that. He also but he blamed everyone he, and everything else. Who knows? Who knows what he didn't? Maybe he didn't yeah. want to say something. I just think I just thought it was unfortunate of Ferguson to say, and uh, I'll be rooting for Justin Gage to, to take his head off, even though I'm, I don't know that I think that's going to happen. Um, because oh, I've lost, I lost a lot of respect for uh, for Ferguson. So let's quickly get into what they have scheduled for UFC 249. A pretty stellar card. They pulled a couple of main events from the surrounding shows that ended up getting canceled leading up to this event. It's bonkers! Uh, it's a up, great card. It really, really it's is. So uh, stacked. They ended up keeping the co-main event. Jessica Andrade versus Rose Namajunas, a rematch of their title bout from, I believe, a year, year and a half ago. Uh, Jessica Andrade since lost her title, and now they get to kind of rematch. Rose was dominating early before Jessica slammed her on her head. Since then, Rose has spoken about not being mentally there and not being sure if she wants to compete. So all of these different dynamics going into the co-main event. I wish it was five rounds, but I'll take a three-rounder between these two. You know, that's that's really interesting because I actually believe they should be the main. Oh, wait, that's not a title fight. Never no, mind. no, it's not. <laughs> It can't. They could. They would not get that spot. Yeah, I wish it was five rounds. Also, um, and we'll, you know, we're gonna get we're gonna get into the analysis of these fights later right, next week. I just think it's very interesting because Rose is she seems like a wonderful person and a really really great fighter. Um, she's also seemed very emotionally vulnerable before um, at, with her in her time as champion and also yeah. um, after the Connor the Connor Butts incident. 
So with everything that's going on in the world right now against, you know, a competitor who's very strong and dropped her on her head last time, I'm curious, um, I'm curious where, Ro- where, where Rose's head is at. One of my favorite fighters. I like Andrade fine too, you know, Andrade, like, is, uh, she certainly isn't boring. She's pretty likable herself. Um, I'm just, I hope, I hope they, I hope it's a great fight. Um, and I hope it goes longer than, I hope it goes longer than the last one, but man, Rose looked amazing until she didn't in that last match. Um, yeah, got, I think it was in the second round where she got slammed on her head, but, but yeah, I think like Rose's mental state is probably going to decide how this fight, uh, who this fight will end up going to. So that should be interesting to look forward to. And then we've got like several fights that are just like, they're going to be explosive and there's likely going to be knockouts. Can you believe the, f- yeah, well, let's talk about, I mean, let's, you can riff the main card real quick and then we'll talk about the, the prelim card. Yes, sir. We've got Greg Hardy, Jorgen DeCastro, which is guaranteed knockout one way or the other. Both knockout artists, heavyweights. Vincente Luque versus Nico Price. Both very, very exciting. Nico Price is a killer, be killed guy. Vincente Luque is happy to kill a dude. Uh, he's only really losing decisions to the top level guys. It's April. It still seems like Luque's coming back too fast after that Stephen Thompson fight. Yeah, no joke. What, how long ago was that? It fight? was in, that was in November, but it seems like it was much more recent. Honestly, November's not that long. You're right. That's like four or five months. And that was a serious beating that he took from Stephen Thompson. Um, we've got Jeremy Stevens and Calvin Cater. Fireworks. Great fight between, yeah, between two serious strikers. Now, look at this this free card. This is these fights on ESPN, the prelim, like Rosenstrike and Ganu. Jeez. Oh, that's insanity, Nick. That, that could easily be co-main event on this card, and I would have been happy. Yeah, that's a free fight. It's a shame that it's only three rounds, but... What are the odds it even goes to the second round? Right, that that is likely Who to be a knows? knockout one way or the other. Who knows? They, I could, I, I could absolutely see them, like you know, staring at staring at each other, and eventually someone lands some. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know I. There's actually I an blink. excellent chance. You're right. Like Francis Ngannou isn't aggressive almost ever. Uh, he's only aggressive on the counter, and Jarzinho generally kind of takes his time, saves his energy, waits for the counter opportunity as well, although he does have occasional moments of offensive bursts. And I think he'll be very careful against Francis, so very, very well could end up being a staring contest. I wouldn't be shocked. And if this is the last fight before the pay-per-view and it ends up being a staring contest, then, man, Dana White's going to be pissed. He will be pissed. I. What we really don't know is... Which of these two guys has a stronger chin? I mean, that's that may be that may be what it comes down to. I don't know. I agree. We haven't seen either guy hurt so far in their MMA careers, at least. And the only kind of areas of weakness that they've shown is that you can take them down if you're good enough of a wrestler. Um, but Jarzino's shown a really good propensity to get up and to stay out of submissions, even against really good submission guys, uh, like Al Sarovrim in his last fight. And then Nganu is his takedown defense is so solid, but people really have trouble getting through his hands to get to takedowns to begin with. So again, it's a killer-be-killed fight for both guys. Chance that it ends up being a staring contest, I would not at all be shocked, especially given everything leading up to this fight with this pandemic and all of that. But it is, uh, you know, on paper, looks like it could be a great fight. It's, it's fascinating. I can't wait to see what happens. It's absolutely possible that Rosenstrike takes Ngannou's, uh place, you know, on the on the chart. Like I would not, I would not at all be surprised because we, we have seen Nganu buckle before we've seen him. Um, we've seen mental weakness from him. We haven't seen Rosenstrike hasn't, ha- isn't, we haven't seen him as much. So we don't know 
Like we don't we don't know True. what he we haven't seen him hurt. We haven't seen him you know, he was getting beat by Overeem, but not crushed before uh he before he KO'd him. Um yep. uh, yeah, we yeah. I don't know. And then you've got Hall versus uh, Jacare, which is which is really interesting also. Uriah Hall versus, uh, that's right, Jacare. Yeah, th- that one is either Hall is likely to get uh, maybe a knockout or Souza is likely to get a submission. It is a particularly fascinating matchup given where Souza's career is at this point. And quite frankly, Uriah Hall had a pretty decent performance until he got finished against uh, Costa, who is about to challenge for the middleweight title. So on paper, Uriah Hall is looking the best he has in a long time, and he happens to be training with one of the better teams in the world now. He's three and one, by the way, uh, like including that Costa fight where I think he maybe took a round or was at least uh, he was at least very competitive. I think he hurt Costa with a jab at one point, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he's three. He's three and one in the last three and a half years, and his only loss was to Costa. So Uriah Hall's last five years really has nothing to hang his head at. Losses to Costa, Musasi, Brunson, and Whitaker. He's at a pretty good point in his career between, like you said, that three and one record and the fact that he's actually been training with Fortis MMA, which is one of the better teams out there now, certainly one of the better new teams. And he's really putting his game together under, for the first time, as far as we can tell, I think, a really high-level team that he's actually entrenched and actually a part of. Because I feel like he was always this guy that would move around from team to team. Um, and it's working for him to have like a proper head coach, and that's good to see. Then we've got a couple of decent fights. We've got Ray Borg versus Marlon Barry, which is another great one at bantamweight. That one should be interesting. Outside of that, we've got some names in Michael Johnson, uh, Ryan Spann, Sam Alvey. Eubanks is fighting Alex Hernandez versus Omar Morales. I mean, you know, so, some, some uh, give or take fights, but there's a good seven fights on this card that I think are absolutely stellar. So a lot look to look forward to yeah, that really, weekend. Yeah, I'm really excited. I will say, Nick, I'm currently looking at the cover, the the poster for UFC 249. Nick, it seems like they practiced absolutely no social distancing when they put Justin Gaethje right in front of Tony Ferguson. I'm counting about two and a half inches of space between their noses in this image, Nick. I don't know how they pulled it off, but uh, but I, I'm hoping both guys got tested before that image came together. I, have you heard of Photoshop? Photogram? Yeah, I've heard of it. It's that uh, internet thing where you post pictures and people like them and dislike them. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about some of the MMA news going on now, as well as uh, just a little skim over last uh, the last UFC event, UFC Brasilia, where Kevin Lee went up against Charles Oliveira. Nikolai, we made a bet leading up to that event. I'm excited to talk about it. We'll be back. This is for the dozens and dozens of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast listeners, knowing that you're a bunch of social media influencers, mavens, and mentors. I'd like to ask you to use your prestige to let people know about the podcast. We put a lot of work and research into this series, and we'd love to grow our listenership and expose more people to it. If you know someone who's into MMA but has not given us a listen, give them a heads up. I mean, who doesn't want to hear Nick and I taking turns boasting about the prior week's results, am I right? Back on the MMA Geek C-Level Podcast, Nick, we normally get into our uh, prediction of next weekend's fights. We're actually going to cover the April 18th UFC 249 event next week. But in the meantime, we have a little bit to discuss about the last card, Nick. Uh, we vehemently, strongly disagreed on that main event, Charles Oliveira versus Kevin Lee. So much so that we placed a dinner bet. And Nick, I don't know how you pulled it off, but you ended the entire world just so you wouldn't have to pay up on this thing. Yeah, I uh, 
but I but I won the card overall if I if I recall if my math was correct. You did not, sir. I, I think I, actually I did. Re-listened. Did you go back and re- um, did you go back and check? I did. Uh, yeah, I, I did. I, I forget which fight it was that we dis- that we disagreed on what our picks were, uh, but the Hani Yaya fight I picked, and uh, I picked Enrique Barzal that ended up being a draw, which would give me half a point. And then outside of that, you and I each had three wins, if I remember correctly. Feel free to re-listen to it when you get the chance. I, but, uh, I'm taking but, that victory anyway. I'm not. I'm not conceding that fact. All right, listen. We we live in an alternate reality. The president is is handling this crisis extremely well, as well as anyone ever could. So I you might as well get credit for the last event. Fair I enough. Definite, I um, definitely won. Lord knows you need it, Nikolai. I believe we were six one and three won. draws leading into this. Sure, fair enough. Whatever feels good. Um, so you can you can take this win despite the fact that you lost by half a point. We can make it six two and three, Nick, in my favor. Five two and three. Okay, now you're taking two wins away from me, Nick. Now there's gonna be trouble. <laughs> All right, so I owe you a, I owe you a dinner because 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 every time Kevin Lee gets <laughs> yeah, every time he gets into a third round, he gets submitted. Every time someone touches his neck, Jesus, he tapped out putting on a tie. That's funny. Um, Yeah, here's the thing. The reason that I favored Oliveira and I felt pretty good about him is because I thought it was very similar to that matchup between Damian Maia, Ben Askren, Nick, where Ben Askren, yes, he was the better wrestler in that matchup, but he was going to have a big disadvantage in the striking department. He was going to have a big disadvantage in the jiu-jitsu department. It's the same thing with this matchup, in my view. Oliveira did not have the wrestling advantage, but he was way more dangerous on the ground. He was way more dangerous on the feet. And that's kind of how the fight played out. Somehow Kevin Lee's convinced himself that he was doing well in that fight somehow, even though standing up, Oliveira was piecing him up. Absolutely piecing him up. I thought I overrated Kevin Lee's striking. I thought that his boxing um, and his power were going to be superior. And Oliveira has become a very, very good kickboxer. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that over his last few fights, man. He's in a different league, Nick, from where he was. He's so comfortable even taking shots now, whereas he didn't used to be. I think Kevin Lee's got this very Chael Sonnen-like thing where I, I used to think it was a cardio issue with him. I no longer think so because he can look good for a couple of rounds. And in this case, he didn't look great, but he was okay for a couple of rounds, right? He wasn't. Uh, he was at the very least surviving every submission attempt and taking his shots, um, getting takedowns at will. But in that third round, just like always, he lost his focus. I no longer think it's a cardio issue with him. I'm not convinced that it's just just the guy, much like Chael Sonnen. He could be dominating a fight for a couple rounds, but he can't keep that going long enough to beat some of the elite guys. What it comes down to, Stan, is there's no plan. He has no plan B and no plan C. No, although it did seem like he... You don't think so? That's the Sonnen Sonnen issue. He had no answer for the striking. And well, Sonnen, Sonnen used to be able to get, like, the Anderson Silva fight is just one of many examples, a fight where Sonnen just dominated early and then continued to do the thing that allowed him to dominate, except he let himself get submitted. And that's what happens with Kevin Lee as well. He can dominate early, uh, even though he didn't in this matchup, uh, whether it be Tony Ferguson, whether it be Rafael Dos Anjos. And then at some point, as the fight wears on, he loses his focus, he loses position, and he gets finished. He can't really focus his way all the way around a fight. And also, I do think maybe cardio plays a factor into it as well. Maybe it's that he can't mentally get through feeling tired and still actually doing well in the fight. He went for a takedown like he did 15 other times in this fight. 
in that early in that third round, and he got submitted almost immediately. To Oliver's credit, he looked like he was getting pretty tired toward that end of that second round, but he came through and ended up finishing him early in the third. I think Oliveira is extremely dangerous, and you know I, I lately spoke about on the last episode about how Oliveira could be in line for the next title shot if he can beat Kevin Lee, and I think he's up there, man. He's either one fight away or he's next uh, if they decide not to book this Tony Khabib match for the sixth time. Yeah, I think it would be it would be really really interesting. Overall, I mean, the, the Brazilian card with with no fans was extremely entertaining. I mean, you had just like looking at it real quick, you had uh, maybe the decision went the right way, maybe it didn't. I certainly got the points off of it, so I enjoyed it. Brandon Moreno, you should uh, you was re, was quality fight. Um, Gilbert Burns got challenged early, but then you know landed some serious thunder. So you're dealing with a, a premier grappler who's got fire in his fists. Moikano came off like kind of an asshole, but he looked great. <laughs> um, and he's yeah. been his brief fight. Uh, Although I, I didn't think Moikano did anything wrong. I felt like Demir was being kind of odd. Oh no, no, no. you're right. Moikano immediately after he, he was still kind of uh, giving him the look. And, yeah. And, it was weird. Uh, yeah. Uh, kind of mean mugging him. It, it was kind of odd, but he was caught in the moment. It happens yeah, sometimes. Um, I, I do want to quickly talk about Gilbert Burns, Damian Maya, okay. because I think Gilbert Burns has arrived at 170. Yeah. Nobody finishes Damian Maya like that. Uh, Damian Maya's other three losses in the, last several years are to the top three guys in this division and they were all by decision and they were all fairly boring. Gilbert Burns did something that nobody else has really consistently done against Damian Maya. Every time, or at least in the last few years, every time that Damian Maya got a takedown, Gilbert Burns weathered it, saw his opportunity to explode and get up to his feet and did it. And he did it two or three times, Nick, before landing that check left hook and finishing Damian Maya. I thought that was extremely impressive. I think Gilbert Burns at 170 is somebody to seriously watch out for. Nobody does this to Damian Maya, man. Like, that does not happen. So, extremely, extremely impressive, man. And Damian Maya, unfortunately, is going into his retirement bout next, probably against someone like Donald Cerrone, or I hope not, but apparently Diego Sanchez is in the running for that one. But, yeah, overall, a pretty solid card. Amanda Ribas, Elysia Zaleski Dos Santos, Marlon Moroz, David Dvorak, Bea Malecki. Uh, some people picked up some decent victories. Really impressive by Brandon Moreno. And uh, a weird fight between Kriloff and Johnny Walker. And the Walker kind of hype train is officially at a full stop now. Yeah, def- that fight went more or less how I thought it would. And we both picked Krylov, didn't we? Yeah. I don't really believe in Johnny Walker and Krylov is as improved as ever. He's a guy that actually changed his momentum from being that guy that dominates early and then can't keep it going to now slowing things down and actually getting takedowns and getting top position and going to decisions and beating some fairly experienced guys. His last win before that was against, oh, I'm sorry, it was actually a split decision loss to Glover Teixeira that a lot of people thought that uh, Krilov may have deserved. Yeah, Johnny Walker, by the way, he's really just at this point, Johnny Walker is oversized Eric Silva. He's our extra large Eric Oh, I hear that. That is so true. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. Um, I will say a really terrible night for uh, TriStar Jim. John McDessie, Johnny Walker, Kevin Lee all came up on the losing end. I think Random Marcos at least used to train at TriStar. I'm not sure if she's still with that team, but really bad night for that team. A good overall card. Um, John Jones, Nikolai. Let's transition to. Yeah, it's, it's the... been an ugly time. This, this time away for UFC in general. It's been kind of ugly. A lot of things have been happening, but we can talk briefly about John Jones. Yeah, man. He gets arrested again. 
for not only a DWI, not only did he have an open container in the car, not only did he smell of alcohol, not only did he have pot in the car with him, but he had a gun on him and he shot off a round neck. And there was like a homeless person nearby him and nobody else around. He was in his car, basically drunk and high. Like, what the fuck, man? It just seems like this this kind of situation, uh, I think it was Israel Adesanya that pretty early on when the, the pandemic first kind of became big news, he said how for some folks, this is going to ruin their marriages. This is going to start, uh, this is going to get people to, to become alcoholics, uh, drug addicts. And there are some people who are going to come out better from this, more focused and closer to their family. And clearly John Jones falls into the former category. He's just a mess. And Nick, he's going to get away with it again. And again, he has nothing, like, he's just posting on his Instagram, like, nothing ever happened, like, living life regularly, like, this is not a big deal to him. He has the lawyers handle his shit, he moves on, and just the way that he can compartmentalize these weird flows in his life and still live his life like nothing ever happened is fascinating, man, but he's a mess of a human being in so many ways, and it's a shame that somehow he's able to stay undefeated, even when... So many people think he lost his last two fights. He's still holding that championship belt. He can, no matter what, he can't slip on a banana peel if there's a room full of them in MMA. But outside of MMA, man, he can't keep his shit together at all. Nah, he's a, he's a disaster. I'm just kind of not, yeah, I, I honestly wasn't bothered or troubled by it. I'm just like, yeah, it's, well, it's just more John Jones. I yeah, mean, I think one of the better tweets I saw was, uh, I can't remember who it was in the MMA world, basically said, John Jones got arrested for DWI and shooting a gun. So, you know, despite the pandemic, all is normal. Yeah, it's the most John Jones things ever. As Nate Diaz yeah, would say, I'm not John. surprised, motherfuckers. Yeah, that was that was weird. Uh, there's a there's more weird stuff going on. Like, someone's suing Dana White for, like, there's a weird right. Dana White lawsuit going on where it does seem like, you know, he the guy's girlfriend was a stripper. Where there's smoke, there's fire. The guy's girlfriend was a stripper and Dana White flew her to, had like a, some sort of like hooker deal with her, right. like high level, you right. know, expensive and, and brought her down to Brazil. And there was a, right. and he, there was a video of her and Dana White. The Dana White didn't know she was, it's just like, gro- it's just gross. It's the gross stuff that you know, you absolutely know that like Trump like dudes and dudes that hang with Trump, like, <laughs> Um, just yeah. get a just, I mean, I mean, just the way they roll. Trump like it's just let's say that umpteen percent of people cheat on their spouses. People in power not only get more opportunity, but there's a lot more risk. And you know, I don't think it's terribly surprising that Dana White does what Dana White would like to do. I think that video of Kobe Covington walking into a casino and surprising Dana White as he was sitting at at a blackjack table with a very attractive young lady oh, right, next right. to him. And she who, started backing away. That was amazing. Right. Right, right. Who, who I can only imagine was not his wife. Like it, it's obviously this is a certain lifestyle for Dana, and he clearly dealt with a pimp and paid for service. And the pimp wanted to get him by the balls, and uh, instead of giving him a silence fee, which is something the president would do, uh, Dana White basically told him, "Go fuck yourself." I think uh, they tried to Dana the details. Fashion. I think they did agree on something, but then yeah, it's just me- it's just messy and ugly. And this yeah. whole like uh, this whole like nothing can stop the UFC. We're gonna do fights on a on a private island, and we're not sure where it is. It's just a little. <laughs> I you know I love I love this sport, and I always want to support the fighters, and I understand how difficult it is to get a promotion like the UFC to to work. But these these last several weeks, sometimes like boxing and like other kinds of of show business, entertainment business. 
it's just kind of gross. It leaves you as a fan sometimes feeling like you need to take a shower or like, what am I supporting? Yeah. But I'll still support yeah, it because yeah. I'm not no fucking joke. perfect. You are. You're perfect. Well, you're perfect, though. You know what, Nick? I appreciate you saying that. I think only you and my mother share that sentiment. My wife has been dissuaded from that thought over the over the course of our marriage. So I do appreciate you still feeling that way, Nick. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it is the weirdest thing. And Dana, Dana, like it seems like shit is going on in his life, right? And that's why he was lashing out at the media for being a bunch of quote unquote pussies for for being the biggest wimps because they're they they don't think that the event should be put on or or what have you. Um, it's kind of like the way the president, you know, craps on the media before a major thing on him is about to come out so that he can say, oh, these are moralized by the media. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was a factor there. But, yeah, man, he he's just involved in some weird, seedy, shady shit. And I, I always feel bad for the spouse in that situation because they, they tend to have to be, you know, stuck in that situation. And they kind of have to look the other way one way or another. But um, I think part of the reason that the UFC is insisting on putting on UFC 249 – putting on specifically a pay-per-view in which they can get some decent amount of revenue is because Endeavor, the parent company of the UFC who bought the UFC for $4 billion a few years ago, apparently they're in financial straits, especially with this yes. whole pandemic and, and the economic effect of it all. Apparently they are not able to pay back their loans that they had to at least partially borrow in order to purchase the UFC. And so they need that revenue. And I think Dana White is doing what he needs to do for his bosses as he always has, one way or the other. Um, it, it is such an odd situation. I hope the fighters are as safe as can be. I hope none of the fighters that are competing in the near future are going back home to anybody that's elderly or anybody that may, might be particularly susceptible to getting negatively affected by this disease. I will say Ray Bork's son has you know, had a lot of issues medically ever yes. since he was born a couple of years ago, and I hope that I hope that every precaution possible is being taken in that situation and uh, yeah, man, we're going to enjoy the fights on the 18th. I'm not putting money into Dana White's pocket directly. You might be, uh, but we'll enjoy the fights and we will preview it for What do you everyone. mean? What do you mean you're not putting money into his pocket directly? I'm not going to uh, pay for the pay-per-view, Nikolai. Oh, you're going to do like the last time and watch it with binoculars through your neighbor's window? That is exactly, exactly right. I Nick, hope he doesn't start changing again, know, but you told such an amazing story about his moles. It was, I found it very about, about my neighbor's moles. Yeah, I found it very yeah. moving and creative the way that you never mind. Yeah, we, we can actually do a rendition of that conversation on next week's episode yeah. if you'd like, Nick. Right, right next to a preview of UC 249. I'm, I'm, I'm up with it, Nick. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, apparently I'm more of a people watcher by reputation than I realized. Yeah, um, let, let's let's call Creepy. it a night, but uh. <laughs> thank you Nikolai thank you for that sentiment you know you go from calling me perfect to calling me essentially a no, I was just being pervert. I was just being droll and sarcastic I did not I, mean, I, don't, think, I don't think you're about which part was, was it about the fact that I'm a creep <laughs> oh wow well, I think you're terribly funny something that, I, that your mom and I text about all the time well that is motherfucking awkward because I <laughs> thought she was convinced I was a decent man god damn it Nick god damn it <laughs> And I won. And I won the. I won the last bout. Anyway, so Nick, you, you won the last bout, just like the fake news media is out to get you. Dust, uh, dust it off the cobwebs, or clear the cobwebs, and uh, we'll be back into it in uh, a little less than a week. Uh, hopefully, we'll be uh, yes, we'll be going with our picks for this next card, which I'm really, really looking forward to. I am, um, despite your success over me.